Welcome to Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Join me in welcoming my guests as we'll discuss the ins and outs of the healthcare landscape and examine what is really happening inside big healthcare. Mr. MedTech, Mr. Giovanni Loricella is joining me today in the Healthcare 360 studio for a deep dive into the MedTech world. Giovanni, a fellow Northeastern University alum, fascinates me with not only his global perspective into antiquated healthcare regulations, but also his insider knowledge into human augmentation with a few explicits thrown in. I really appreciate Giovanni taking the time to share this captivating conversation. I hope this is the first of many. Also, if you would like to connect with Giovanni, you can find him at mrmedtech.com. That's M-I-S-T-E-R medtech.com. Please consider sharing this podcast. It's the tiny ripples that make the largest impact. And as always, thank you for being a part of the Healthcare 360 Nation. One of my favorite authors, I just like his style, and he's still a young guy, but he's still like a philosopher, a modern day philosopher. His name is Mark Manson. His first book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I read the book three years ago, something like that. I mean, you can't. Not buy it when you see the cover, right? I mean, it's actually one of those books that have been on my list. You're the fourth person in the last month who's like, you got to read this book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you have to. Came out with a second book and I feel like... We can look it up. Right yeah, there. let's look it up. Yeah. So, so Mark, Mark Manson. Manson. Every, yeah, thank you. Everything is fucked? Everything is fucked. <laughs> so a few years ago, I, I read the, the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. And... What was particular about the book that, that you drew you to it, though, in the beginning? And then what, what was your takeaway at the same time? Oh, man, there's so many. So here's a, a big, big, long story. So um, first and foremost, it's uninhibited writing. Yeah. So I do swear, right? I mean, that's just who I am, right? And some people are very uh, silenced about that kind of stuff. To see it in writing, kind of like you're talking to somebody at a bar okay. who's just really smart, but also talks your language, right? Says, fuck once in a while, shit this, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's just very intelligent in the fact of it's life isn't easy. Right. And the quicker that you accept that Mm -hmm. and the quicker you stop taking things personally and the quicker you realize that you just got to kind of forage and persevere through life. And he goes off in crazy tangents and gives great stories along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those things came out of the book, right? So. You have to read it. Mm-hmm. And I could spend two hours on this podcast telling you all the takeaways. But it's <laughs> it's basically about whether it's media or this nuanced culture of people being fat, lazy, and babied and stuff like that. And, and it's not that hard, gritty culture that we might have come from 100 years ago, 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. This generation, these millennials and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and how the culture has kind of softened a bit. Even from when you were growing up or when I was growing up or when my parents or grandparents were growing up. Different. Would you consider it softened or just more or noticing more, being a little bit more? I don't want to use – sometimes I hate using the word empathetic mm-hmm. just because it's a very overused word or adjective now to describe a certain emotion. But Or people just noticing more. I like to use the word notice because it's like, hmm, I noticed that. What does that mean? And explore that a little bit. Yeah. We're an overeducated society at this point, right? Overstimulated too. Overstimulated, right? <laughs> and, that, and that was one of the things he – and this is bouncing around my story about Mark Manson, but he has this article that basically stipulates, you know, um, quit the news, right? right? And then <laughs> if you don't care to dig further or dig deeper, mm-hmm. you might sign up for what your news that you resonate with, right? But you don't realize that maybe it's to the left and you're not seeing the right side of the story, right? Or it's more to the right and you're not seeing the left side. Of, and there's all these perspectives, right? Right, right, right. So anyway, it's just this overstimulation of news, basically. But mm-hmm. going back to Mark Manson, it's, it's um, we have a lot of people still today that still do the grind. Mm-hmm. But there's this millennial culture that, whether you want to call it softened or not, it's just we're glued to the phones, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Even if in this COVID period, especially earlier on, I don't know if you've seen the change. That, that's right? accelerated. What's ex- oh with the phones? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we're cyborgs at this point yeah 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 but i i I just watched a little clip of uh joe rogan and uh i forget her name gosh uh i'll I'll, I'll, we'll put a link to it in the podcast notes below but they're talking about the the whole theory of are we in the matrix or are we in that simulation now interesting conversation and just imagination at at best but it's coming back up all the time oh yeah (laughs) and i'll come back to it i'm not going to forget where we were going with this whole thing but i mean i was on the phone with one of the original people who joined Neuralink. Elon Musk's company oh, yeah, last yeah, week. Yeah. And, and he's still there or no? That the person you're speaking with. Yeah. 
in addition to that, I'm in contact with another startup that's also creating called a brain computer interface. Okay. It's another startup medical device company. I have to tell you something about an interview that we had with okay. Rohan Hall from Votum Blockchain. Okay. He was talking a lot about neomorphic computing. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, my gosh. Crazy. I mean, we're, we're getting crazy. there. We're getting there. <laughs> the whole purpose is you have a Neuralink. You have other ones that are coming up in the brain-computer interface world like Kernel. You have Synchron. Yep. Basically, the technology can get there. Right. It's the FDA and the regulators can't keep up with all this incredibly nuanced technology. Yeah. And that's, I don't want to say inhibiting or slowing it down, but once the regulations keep up with that, that's when humans will click to the next chapter. Yeah. So circling back to Mark Manson on this one, I read this book three years ago and then last May. So 19, I, May 19. 19. Yeah. May 19. I was in Sydney, Australia. Mm-hmm. It was actually pretty cool because it was two conferences back to back. I had one cardiovascular conference in Paris, mm-hmm. and then I had a neuromodulation conference in Sydney. And so I flew from Miami to Paris. I was in Paris for five nights. Yes, you're going to get me in a lot of trouble right now because my wife's going to be listening to all this stuff after, and she's going to go, he's been to Sydney, he's been to Paris. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Pre-COVID, <laughs> yeah. my life was practically on a plane. Right, right So right. Th- this is... Friday, week 11 from working from home. Mm -hmm. The week prior to that, I was in Europe for the week. I was in Amsterdam and Paris. I remember you told me you almost got locked down there. Oh, yeah. I woke up due to the time difference. I woke up on a Thursday morning in Amsterdam, and apparently Trump made the travel ban announcement Wednesday Wednesday. Eastern time. So I woke up to like 15 messages from loved ones being like, you better get home today. Before I even reacted or responded to anybody, I I looked up and I'm like, okay, read the fine print. If you're an American citizen, you can get home. I'm like, okay, guys, okay. relax. I got a couple more days. <laughs> and so when I jumped on the flight, I was actually, I mean, it was totally empty. It was an apocalyptic experience. It was um, me showing up in the Charles de Gaulle airport in Paris. And it's a huge airport. Yeah. Maybe 10 people floating on the floor and then the workers behind the desks. Right, right, right. Walked right through, checked my bags, got in. I was one of 60 people on a 500-person passenger flight from Charles de Gaulle, Paris to Miami. Mm-hmm. I had the whole upper deck to myself. Wow. I mean, it was it was a crazy experience, crazy yeah. experience. Anyway, I, I was home now for week 11. I was in Europe the week before that. Flew from Paris, was there for five days, and then flew from Paris to Dubai, Dubai to Sydney. After finishing up in Sydney, flew Sydney back to Dallas, Dallas back to Miami. So it was exactly two weeks door to door, flew perfectly around the world. Wow. So that was That's pre- awesome, man. That was pretty cool. So I, at least I could tell my future kids and, and anyone who ever asks, I've actually been around the world. Yeah. <laughs> I've, tra- I've, tra- I've traveled a lot, but I've actually made the circle. You've actually made the circle on the way around. One night after finishing up at the conference, I had been walking down one of these awesome streets in Sydney, and mm-hmm. it was this closed bookstore. And it was like an old school bookstore that was featuring books in the front that they were selling. There was this big, bright orange, no, blue cover, I'm sorry. The style of it looked identical, and I'm like, I know that. And I looked at it, and it was, what is it? Everything is fucked. There we go. It was everything. <laughs> a book is, about hope. Yeah, everything <laughs> Which is, is the fucked. The subtitle is awesome. Exactly. So you can't. St- I mean, so now I'm like, okay, I love Mark Manson's first book. Here's a second book. Yeah. I'm in Sydney. I bought it immediately. It was closed that night, so I went back the next morning and bought it. Are you a hardcover guy or an Audible guy? Oh no, no, I'm a hardcover guy. I'm, hardcover I'm guy. old school. I mean, I know that you're a tech guy, and, yeah. and that's why I have so much envy for you even being able to set up this podcast room. I mean, <laughs> I'm so I was raised by my grandparents. Okay, I'm a people person, somewhat old school. I can tell that I'm getting that vibe from you very, very easily. It, Thank you, you. You're very comfortable in front of people, especially. I mean, I know we spoke on the phone and we, we've been connected digitally, but so you can get a sense of people like that. Yeah, yes, like that. I love people. Yeah. So, I mean, pe- some people don't like people and they make that awkward social thing going yeah, on and yeah, other yeah. people just flow. And I've always been like that. So my grandparents were born in the early and mid 40s. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they were mentally arrested sometime in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And that's how I was raised. And I, and I love it. I mean, and that's kind of what keeps me old school. Yeah. But I also work in medical device, med tech. So I have this perfect blend of like, what I think perfect blend. Um, <laughs> it's a this, self perspective. Right? This old school human stuff right. that the world that we live in now has totally outgrown that way. Well, here's my favorite comment of all time. And it comes from my grandmother, earn you keep. Yeah. Right. So my grandmother, yeah. uh, you know, she was born and raised in East Boston, North End. My grandfather, uh, you know, their parents were right off the boat from Italy. Bruno is their maiden name. Outside of when my mother was working because she worked all the time, they were the one who brought me up. Yeah. Very similar upbringing. 
But I've broken away a little bit looking at different perspectives now, especially the melting pot of Miami. Yeah. It's like, hmm, just try something else out. No doubt. Well, and then, I mean, that's why we're both Northeasterners, transplants down to South Florida. Right, right. <laughs> and that's all about like living out of your comfort zone, right? Yeah. Now that I'm in the med tech industry, every day I'm on the forefront of emerging technologies and learning all this cool stuff that is totally the antithesis of that old black and white way of living, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I appreciate both. Mm-hmm. I appreciate both. Yeah, I appreciate both with the sense of there's definitely an adoption period. Which I think is what you're getting at with yeah. all this stuff, especially every, all the companies that you just talked about right now, ultimately having a computer in the back of your brain, Sam. Yeah. Your day-to-day when you wake up, what, what's the first thing you do? Especially, I mean, you're a busy person. Pre-COVID, you were traveling all over the world. Foremost leader, I know, as far as decipher and evaluating new upcoming technology in healthcare, it's a lot to bear. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So it is exciting at the same time, isn't it? It's very exciting. I mean, yeah. that's what it's purpose, right? And that's what allows me to get up and put my feet on the ground. So I'm going to land my plane on this one super quick because then I can answer your question. Bought this book, fell in love with Mark Manson. He has a full on website that then you can subscribe. So I'm like a full on subscriber of him, right? So you get all of his articles and everything like that, right? Every Monday he comes out with just this article for the week, right? And mm-hmm. so throughout this whole COVID period, and then he's published articles on it too. It's just the importance of routine. And that was really the longest way of me getting to answer that particular question is like the importance of routine. <laughs> yeah. and, and and he jumped on it immediately. So like mm-hmm. right when I got back from Europe, right when COVID was really downward spiraling and changing the world that we're living in right now, I'm always a routine kind of guy. But to have someone actually push on that and really emphasize the world is about to get shaken routines are going to get broken and mm. it's up to us to be able to make sure that we maintain some sort of routine and some sort of discipline right or else everything's just going to kind of crumble away so i'm a, i'm a very disciplined person i'm a very routine person i'm very robotic so when i am home and not traveling my schedule is i wake up at 4 and i'm hopefully in bed no later than 9:30 but i try to go to bed by 9 so i'm at 4 i'm usually at the office between depending on the day, 5.15, 5.30, latest, usually like six-ish. Yeah. And then in that first few hours, I read a chapter of a book that I'm reading every single day. So you're not trying to sit down and get through a book in three or four days. You're taking your time. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm probably, once again, staying habitual and routined. If that's a word, routined. We can make it up. Yeah. We do whatever we want. We're speaking on a podcast. <laughs> a podcast. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> um, so if, if you do a chapter a day, depending on the book, right, I'm good for a book every two weeks or every three weeks, sure. something like that. That's my time. I'm a reader. I love reading. Mm-hmm. And then I have to read all day for work. See, I love reading articles. I didn't really do well with books when I was in school. When the digital era really kind of took shape yeah. and it was more people putting up more content, that's when I really thrived in, in content and opinion for yeah. that matter as well. And then being able to pull different pieces and parts of information. I put out a post a little while ago. Everyone's always talking about, and I'll ask you the same question too, future healthcare, future healthcare. And I'm like, look, for the most part, I didn't really say it this way, but shit, the future of healthcare has been in front of your face for the last 10 years, period. It's just a matter of all these little small technologies come together and boof, there it is. COVID was the nice little you know, person behind you that pushed you right up the cliff to make it all happen. Done. Yeah. There's your future of healthcare. I agree. I fully agree. <laughs> right. COVID was this impetus that right. we were in many different ways, in many different industries waiting for. Did the guy follow uh, Mesco? He's on LinkedIn. He, that's his primary platform that he publishes his information on there. He's always talking about what COVID did. Yeah, Mike, this was coming. This yeah. was, you know, it was absolutely coming. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. All of us at this point, the amount of spread that's happened, all of us have been affected in some way, whether yeah. we know who's had it and maybe it was no worse than the flu for a long weekend. Mm-hmm. Or I've had people who are close to me, one degree of separation, whatever it may be, pass away. Oh, really? Yeah, so yeah. it's legit. You know, my heart goes out to all this whole ecosystem that's been affected by it. Mm-hmm. And once again, going to this whole perseverance factor, I mean, as long as it hasn't directly affected me and I can continue going on, I'm mm-hmm. going to continue going on. On the positive side, it has sparked so much change. And I think the world was burning on white hot flames for so long yeah, that yeah, this yeah. was this one thing that was like, hey, everyone, that's not going to be mm-hmm. health-wise affected by this and you can still move on. Wake up and let's do something a little bit more efficiently and, and really, what are we doing here? Outside of healthcare, I'm sure you have a lot of people in finance it's yeah. hanging together by a shoestring. And then when this came over. Well, then, I mean, it's the same thing. Uh, and because my position, my job is is so global, mm-hmm. the United States for me happens to be another country. I live in it, but I know just about as much the politics and the economic trends and all that stuff as I do in France, as I do in 
India as I do in China, right? And so I'm the master of none of them, and I know a little bit about all of them that I yeah, have. Yeah, but to that, that, that's the danger factor right there. You know enough to be dangerous and to be able to hold yourself in a conversation in any location that you're going to be in, yeah. which is awesome. Going back to the whole economic point of uh, hanging by a thread, like you were mentioning, right? Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, I strongly encourage you to watch this. It's called The China Hustle. Okay. And most recently, YouTube or is it a documentary on Netflix? It's a documentary on Netflix, but if you can't find it on Netflix, I think it's one of those like four ninety nine pay for things yeah, on Google yeah, Play yeah. or whatever. Right, right. It's worth every cent. Really? So most recently, and here's a quick story, and it ties the whole globe together. And going back to how fast we were burning and how people were turning a blind eye and things like that. Mm-hmm. And this documentary will explain it much better than I can, but here's the high level. I was reading an article. There is a company in China called Luckin Coffee. Their whole mission was basically to be the Starbucks of China. All great the, model to follow, right? Great model. Yeah. And, and if you talk about the 360, 80, whatever million people we have in the United States, plus Europe and stuff like that, a country of 1.4 billion people, it's still quite possible to have that Starbucks feel if you can get up to them. They just got, I mean, the CEO was recently fired. The stock, it has to have been by now, delisted from the NASDAQ or I should say the New York Stock Exchange, Mm -hmm. there was this trend, and this is where the China Hustle talks about, there was this trend of these Chinese companies getting listed on the New York Stock Exchange or here in the US. Yeah. Because of whether it's cultural nuances, language, whatever it may be, distance, because we're still a physical world, they were able to make all these fabrications on their financial documents and everything and, and what was happening here in the States and what they would publish in our news articles and stuff. And keep in mind, I can't read Mandarin and most people can't read both sides, right? Right. Go for it. Make up stories and stuff like that. And these companies were making up these lavish stories and bumping and jacking up all these stock prices. Meanwhile, it was no more than a 50-person company over in China. And maybe, yeah, it was happening over and over again. Yeah. And so this documentary, I want to say it came out in 2018 or something like that. And it was exposing all of these massive amount of companies that were doing this from China. Mm -hmm. And I'm surprised that it wasn't an even bigger story than it was, let alone continue to allow Chinese companies to continue to do this, at least without proper vetting. Mm -hmm. And Luckin was the 2020 version of that. It's other countries integrating into other economies. It was fabrication of um, financial documents. It was millions and millions and millions of dollars made. And then because of international law, you can't- You can't do anything about it. They can't get prosecuted in China. Right. So I'm not here to talk about all these details. The, the documentary will explain it out. Wow. But the world was moving so fast and people were trying to do what they could to make an extra buck, integrate themselves into different economies, all this other stuff. It was crazy. It was crazy. Wow. Another article, very interesting. Iran, which was one of the most affected countries by COVID. So this is going back to February. They had announced, and there was these people who were sick people with COVID. They didn't know it at the time. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, when there was sanctions on the oil between Iran and the United States. Yep. Remember that? China was one of the only countries who was still purchasing oil from Iran. Still travel back and forth, back and forth. Passing of COVID. There was a few people going into medical physician's office Mm -hmm. claiming of this and that, and they didn't know what it was. And then because of how the government structured, two people ended up dying and then ended up being COVID. By the time they ended up understanding really what it was, they were too late. And it was one of the most massively affected economies with COVID infections. And it was all under wraps. And then they were spinning the story that from the top down government to its people saying that this was potentially biological warfare from the U.S. Oh, yeah. That's been around for – and it's not just limited to the United States. Right. It, it's China, Canada. That rabbit hole is pretty deep. Originally, COVID started here in the United States. There's the whole Bill Gates vaccination thing. And I'm really interested in how that whole thing's going to unfold. Yeah. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. This is Healthcare 360. We are fortunate to have Giovanni Loricella live in studio. The depth of knowledge and understanding of the medtech industry – that this person brings to the table is really unmatched. And I mean that, honestly. And I'll tell everyone a a quick little secret. I have been looking to have him on the show for months, for months. There's so much value that you bring. Excited that you came in. I'm really fortunate we were able to record. The people that look to you for information, 
are getting the best in the business. They really are. So Thank because you. you're so diverse and that's where it's at. It's the diversity of the information that you get. Outside of Mr. MedTech <laughs> on LinkedIn, where can they find you? Have a website you want to promote? Or is there anything you want to redirect everyone to on social? As social as I am mm-hmm. and where we found each other on LinkedIn, this is going back to that 1950s bring up. <laughs> I actually don't have social media. I don't have Instagram. I don't have Facebook. You want to find me on LinkedIn. That is my home. Yep. That is my life. That is where everything I have is. And then hashtag Mr. MedTech. Follow me. Yeah. I'm telling you, folks, I mean, if you want to know what's going on, uh, just take a glance at his page. Constantly updating it and putting posts out there. The level of information there is it's one thing after another. I'm going to throw the, the first hard one at you. We, as Americans, as American healthcare, like we have this thing wrapped up, right? We're so far from that, that truth. We're the most innovative. We're the most successful. No. Not even close. No. Yeah, we know that we're very far from it. The early adoption rate is what I believe is like killing innovation. Lonnie Stormo said it best. He kept it to one word and I just stopped and I was like, holy shit. Payment? So yeah. where are we going here? I'll take this a couple different routes and my master's in regulatory affairs. So yep. I'll start with the... Oh, by the way, this is what everyone knows. We both graduated from Northeastern. That's true. Yeah. We did. <laughs> Very good. I'll take it from a personal experience over the past couple of years mm-hmm. and the most recent updates I have on this. And it's a very cool story. Yeah, sure. And I'm coming from medical device. That's the angle that I'm coming from. So life sciences as a general whole may not be applicable, but I'll speak for medical device. Mm-hmm. The approval process over in Europe, you get something called a CE mark. It's the equivalent to what we have here in the United States with the FDA. Mm-hmm. You can, for class one, class two products, it's something called FDA clearance. It's a 510K process. Yep. Or for a class three product, PMA approval or FDA approval. Whenever you see something in writing, FDA clearance or FDA approval, whenever you see FDA approval, it automatically means it has to be a class three. Sure. FDA clearance has to be class one, class two. For seemingly decades, whether you were a startup device company in the States, in Israel, in Europe, wherever. You generally went CE mark first over in Europe. Right. So you would conduct your clinical trials. What most people in the States here don't realize is that in Europe, it's less stringent over there. Really competitive as well because you can just take someone else's technology, tweak it a little bit and be okay. I mean, I wouldn't call it super, super loose. for this Looser. Looser. I, I would yeah. call it easier mm-hmm. than FDA. And also because of that, shorter times, less money, which yep. – Time and money are the economics that drive everything, mm-hmm. which is the reason why you even have startups coming from the States pursuing their first regulatory clearance approval mm-hmm. over in Europe in general. That was like that forever. And basically in 2017, when Europe passed the announcement and the also implementation of what they called the European Medical Device Regulations or the EU MDRs, mm-hmm. it was due to a series of massive crises or catastrophes that happened due to their regulatory system. They wanted to almost emulate the stringentness of the FDA here in the States. They did this in 2017 with the implementation date. And this is so cool that we're talking about this right now. And I turned my regulatory geek hat on right now. <laughs> um, it was actually supposed to be implemented May 26, 2020. Today's the 29th, I believe, three days ago. Right. So here's the whole story. Over the past two years, and I'll call it really hardcore 18 months, it was a dynamic shift. It was a tectonic plate movement that basically reversed how the regulatory or the startups were actually perceiving or growing their company. When we had, for decades, startups pursuing CE mark over in Europe first, Mm -hmm. for the reasons that we just talked about, that easiness, less costly. These European medical device regulations were causing chaos, grayness, nebulousness. The reason being is we have the FDA here in the States, and the FDA is a centralized governing body. Over in Europe, they have notified bodies. The main difference is FDA is a federal organization. Over in Europe, the notified bodies are privatized organizations. The notified bodies over in Europe also are depending on the country. When you're allowed to have CE mark, you're allowed to sell in each country, but each country then has its own reimbursement policy and everything yeah. like that. So it's by this tenders and it's all much, much different model than the United States. Exactly. So even yeah. though in some ways they're cohesive, a lot of other ways they're very still individualistic. Mm-hmm. When you had to have the notified bodies, and I think at the height of it, there was upwards of 80 notified bodies in the European Union who were responsible for designating CE mark to companies pursuing CE mark in Europe. Mm-hmm. They all had to be recertified underneath the new European medical device regulations, which were supposed to be implemented three days ago. 
I believe, and I might be butchering this, but the goal was to have, I want to say 20 recertified by January. I think at the time there was like five or six maybe. All right, lofty goal. Here's the crazy story. You had roughly 500,000 products in Europe that were CE marked, creating their healthcare system, right? Whenever you walked into a hospital or urgent care center, whatever it was, those products that they could use on you were CE marked. They all had to be recertified underneath new EU MDRs. If they weren't, they couldn't use them. Oh. And so you now have 80 notified bodies who are responsible for giving CE mark. You now have only five that are able to give recertifications or new certifications to the products that are already existing. But what's going on right now within healthcare? I mean, if they can't use these pre-approved products. Exactly. Right. And, and going to your point about what's happening to emerging technology or new technology, yeah. you have all these new products that have to be approved or recertified underneath the new EUMDRs. Yeah. And you have less than a tenth of the manpower that was responsible for doing so. And now now we're up to the numbers. I, I want to say maybe there's 20 now or something like okay. that. And it was a hard stop. If you didn't meet that goal, sorry, you're out. There were exceptions that are incredibly detailed, but mm-hmm. fundamentally, yes. Was that a power play? They had them in some kind of financial... Mm, I don't know time. if it was a power play. It was really a response to a lot of medical device crises that were caused by misregulation or not great oversight. There was a breast implant scandal mm-hmm. where hundreds of thousands of women were affected. Yeah. And then there was other scandals. But keep in mind, this is history repeats itself. The reason why the FDA is the FDA in 1976, they passed the medical device regulations in the States, the Medical mm-hmm. Device Act. And that was in response to vaginal mesh and uh, cardiac pacemakers that were causing incredible crises here in the States. I remember the pacemaker when it was killing people. It was, it was, killing it people. was actually simulating a heart attack. So because of all those crises in the States, the 1976 Medical Device Act was implemented. Fast forward 40 plus years, now here we are, and Europe's doing the same thing. To have to recertify all those 500,000 products, all new emerging technology who is pursuing CE Mark, and whether it's a Parisian-based startup or a Spanish startup mm-hmm. who wanted to get approval in their own union, all that new technology, if you didn't have CE mark, you would fall in the back of the line. That forced the whole shift in current to go from everything looking to CE mark in Europe first to also simultaneously with the FDA implementing new early feasibility studies. And also, I wouldn't say loosening, but certainly being a better communicative partner with technology companies. The shift from CE mark first, now companies were going FDA first. And I was in Dublin, Ireland, a year ago in April at my favorite conference. I'm giving a shout out. MedTech Strategist, Dublin, San Francisco, <laughs> Minneapolis, MedTech Strategist conferences in general. Go to them if you can. Phenomenal. Um, every Even better than Medica? I'm going to say yes. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, that's a big one. I'm going to say Because yeah. Medica is a city for the most part, right? It's much more intimate. And maybe because I'm giving a shout out right now, who knows if I just ruined the secret. But um, <laughs> it's, it's an amazing conference that brings entrepreneurs and financiers, investors together in the same room with right. some esoteric consultants and, and just really gives the full ecosystem of what it takes for a medical device startup to be born and survive and grow. Um, it's phenomenal. We were in Dublin a year ago in April, and it's like speed dating. So not only do you have great lectures, but get a chance to network like crazy. I sat down with- You must know so many people around the globe and so many key positions with different companies. Probably not too many countries that I wouldn't have a bed to sleep in if I got stranded. So (laughs) I have a bunch of friends. That's even more important. Yeah. When we were there, it's like speed dating. I, I sat down with 31 CEOs, medical device startup CEOs, and 27 out of the 31 were- CEOs of European-based medical device startup companies. And 100% of them, there wasn't even an exception, and I would be truthful and tell you if there was, Mm. 100% of their regulatory focus was FDA. Really? Not one of them was pursuing CE mark because of this nebulousness. And to make a full story of where we're going, it was this massive topic of the EU MDRs are coming one month away, two months away, three months away. You better hurry up. What's going on? European healthcare system is going to collapse. All this stuff for all these reasons that I'm sharing with you. COVID happens. Then all this hype of what we're going to do in implementing these new regulations in May. Actually, let me reframe my, my reaction there. That could be a good thing because it could have been exactly what they needed to push them off the cliff. And we're going to find out right now. (laughs) COVID happens and then it's a pandemic distraction Mm -hmm. of the regulatory bodies over in Europe that have to take care of this situation. All of a sudden, this regulatory implementation, which caused 
polarization of opinions and how things were unfolding and how the economy was actually, the medical device economy was dealing with it. And also where innovation and technology was being refocused, FDA took a backseat. And then the month of April was headline after headline about pushing to push out the implementation date of the EU MDRs. Finally, in May, it happened. And so a few weeks ago, they made the announcement, it's official. They actually gave a full year pushback. So now the EU MDRs will not be implemented until May 26, 2021. So all these startups that were cramming to be EU MDR compliant, all these notified bodies who were not EU MDR compliant have an extra year to do so. And there was a great article that just was posted, I want to say on Tuesday of this week, that stipulated the EU MDRs are now a time to be ambitious and driven and take advantage of this time, not be lazy and push it off for another year like right. have been, right? Yeah. I was just on the phone with, and I keep on bringing up Ireland because that's apparently how it's unfolding. Well, but you can have a beer in the morning or at night. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I think I was, pl- by the way. Close place to your heart right there, That's right. right. <laughs> and, and so I was speaking with a CEO, a client of mine. We were looking to build their team in the United States due to their focus on the FDA. And I said, you know, how, how is this extension of the EU MDRs affecting Europe? What's your opinion on this? Yeah. And now we're living this, like the time of this podcast right now. This is why I'm telling you, I don't have the answer. We're living on where this dynamic shift is happening as we speak. For decades, everything was CE mark. Then all of a sudden, because of the EU MDRs, everything turned over and looked at the FDA. And now because of this and how the United States has quote unquote, handled this COVID situation. What's happening in New York might not be happening in Florida. What's happening in the state of Washington might not be happening in Arizona, right? What's happening in North Florida is not happening in South Florida. Exactly. Outside of all that, what's your personal idea once all the adoption rate comes back in and people are more comfortable in the situation that we're in globally, as well as the United States, where we're going with healthcare? I think there's going to be minor changes that will last and be permanent. Mm -hmm. I like to use the word philosophy. I'm not a philosopher, but I I like having philosophies on things. Sure. History repeats itself. Sure. We just talked about medical device, 1976. um, The FDA was putting the regulations all of a sudden, 40 years later, same thing happened, which is why the European regulations are changing. Uh, And and you can go back to financial crises or whatever. History repeats itself. And also humans have short memories. So there will be permanent changes that come out of this. Personally, I don't think the permanent changes will outweigh the regression back to somewhat of normalcy. Mm-hmm. There's just no way that you can have people who are sales forces and things like that just evaporate and never go back out because people are scared. Did you see what happened with Care Syntax two weeks ago? No. They released the first virtual rep program. Dennis Kogan was on Joe's show about three weeks ago. And I know Care Syntax. I'm really good friends with the people at the top over there. And they also have an article to support that. There's going to be a huge play, a massive play with representation and just consulting inside the hospital walls where if it sticks to what their plan is and what they're saying, the whole implant device business is going to take tonic shift, just like you talked about. I mean, it is going to be completely disruptive and it's going to remodel everything financially as well as how it's applied. They're talking about a 75-inch monitor with an automated laser pointer. They can go from each procedure in different hospitals, all HIPAA compliant, bing, bang, boom, done, virtually. No more need to walk into an OR, which is what they want now. I think romantically, that will be where we are in the distant future. And I don't know what distant means. I don't know if it's 365 days or 10 years from now or five years from now. But that's where I'm always thinking. One of the companies that came from Trump Medical, everything was very very European dominant, especially from over in Germany. And so when you learned about the tenders and how they operate their businesses as distributorship, you can see why and where they were going with that and how they was navigating. Over here, we're technically distributorship as well over here in the States, especially if it's the parent companies over in Europe. They don't want them in there anymore. They don't want the consultants going in there. They want people who can answer questions faster. It's going to a tender-based system. The RFPs that go out and everything else that's happening now, I see that happening more and more. This was one segment of COVID that pushed over that healthcare is going. It's not going to be for every industry, especially in implants, particularly intervascular cases, interventional cases. I don't know how that's going to work because okay. there's some direct consult that needs to happen on the fly, especially when you're in someone's circulatory system. That's where one segment of the business I see going. And I was reading another article this morning out of Medtech Strategist too, and that's one 
still nebulous area of how are the interventionalists or how are the implanters going to be affected? Maybe the general practitioners are Mm -hmm. going to be easier transitioned into the telemedicine and the the digital health scene, right? Because of their general practice, right? But how is it going to implement a guy who or a girl who's showed up to a cath lab for the past 20 years or whatever it may be and or the OR and implement? Yeah, yeah, right. So listen, I mean, there's so many people who have been stuffed in their homes for the past couple months. Elective surgeries got paused for a long time time of this podcast right now they're coming back yeah there are going to be people who are cautious for a long time there are some people who are like hey don't care see if what i can go back to normal whatever that means but you know i think whenever you have such a drastic drastic change it's always like a kicking up of dust right yeah yeah, yeah. there's going to be the atmosphere is never going to look the same as it was before the dust was kicked up but there is going to be a settling effect right and there's going to be new things that are implemented that will be here to stay and then there's going to be things that revert back to what we have been doing. Yeah. In a lot of cases, I do believe that the healthcare industry, and not just healthcare, but a lot of industries in the United States needed this because they were inefficient. There was no way that healthcare in the US on its financial track record that has been going down that spiral, <laughs> which is just getting larger and larger, it could have sustained itself. No. There's no way. Big institutions will remain big and they'll consolidate, but there's going to be a lot of smaller community-based healthcare providers that can address you just like it used to be back in the 1970s or early 1980s when a doctor used to come to your house and take a temperature and there was milk bottles delivered. Now, it's not going to be to that extreme, of course. If I want to drive down the street to a quickie mart and go into the corner where their med unit is and go get an MR scan or urgent care, I can do that. And they're going to have the technology to be able to assess quickly what's going on, especially when the wearable tech comes out. I think that's going to be more telling than anything else because robotics, brain implants, uh, Neuralink, all that kind of stuff, which I want to get to because Neuralink is odd. I love the concept and idea. I'll give you my one point on that, but where I find its point of entry, but how can that can be deviated a little bit? But when you look at the wearable segment, that's where it's at, man. Your doctor's going to be in your phone and not just with someone communicating virtually because of AI and algorithms and all the, the coding that's going to go into it, Yeah, right? It's going to sound cliche, and it might only sound cliche to people who are in our industry and and know the general trends high level. And for those who aren't, maybe this is new for them. The concept of predictive analytics, proactive healthcare, diagnostics, biomarkers, things like that, Mm -hmm. that is going to be the next wave for sure. You just nailed it right there with biomarkers and predictive right there. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as opposed to being a reactive healthcare system, Mm -hmm. It's now time, especially with the time of big data and all this other stuff with AI and machine Mm -hmm. learning, like you mentioned, and and this ability to compute and create algorithms, like you mentioned, on a much more efficient basis than we have before. The idea of proactive healthcare versus reactive healthcare, that's the future. If you want some high-level umbrella answer to where we're going, Mm -hmm. it's proactive versus reactive. Right, 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 for sure. What do you think about robotics? We had someone on the show, John Marullo with Olympus. What's really interesting about John is he's not the CEO. He's not a high-level administrator. He was a 30-year consultant inside of a hospital that just retired. We had an unbelievable conversation. Awesome. I mean, I was like, look, man, you've been in the field for 30 years. What have you seen? And where's your shit sticking? Yeah. <laughs> we talked about a robotic company coming from the ceiling off of a boom arm, right? Or some kind of elongated pedicle, mm-hmm. right? That had a single port of entry. And within the single port of entry, you had four to five different pieces of instrumentation that could do their job through graphene wire. He's like, yeah, I've seen it. I was like, stop, hold on, stop. (laughs) You've seen it? And we talked about it. And then he talked about, uh, he was with Olympus, uh, their Orbi robot that's coming out and what that's going to do to the market. The whole trocar four to five points of entry is gone. It's going away. He's like, yeah, three years, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I personally know several startups that are working on the single port of entry right now. Through the umbilicus, right? So it's like nothing ever happened. Yeah. When you get your belly button tied off, it's like, what the hell is that there for, right? Right. Now you have a repurpose for it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, robotics, super sexy topic. Yeah. Right. There's a a tremendous amount of competition in there. The main thing, the main thing is, is especially, I mean, now you have different versions of, and whoever you want to define as robotics, right? Because a lot of people are jumping on, like, for example, bioelectronics and the definition of bioelectronics. Some people kind of like really edge their way into there because it's a sexy marketing piece to be able to call yourself bioelectronics. Same thing with surgical robotics. Mm -hmm. Other people want to call themselves 
robotics and maybe medical robotics right. that has to deal with rehab maybe as opposed to surgical robotics. Yeah. So the robotics industry and the healthcare system is a booming, booming market. My one question with robotics though, they don't necessarily know how all these institutions are going to be able to afford the maintenance plans long term. Because there isn't one robot, for example, that has indications that elicit for 15 different procedures, Yeah. right? Every robot has an indication for three to four, maybe, usually two or three. And then you have to buy another robot for this, another robot for that. And the maintenance programs in these guys, I mean, they, they're at least a half million dollars a piece annually. That's a, that's a really high expense. So now you, you start talking about subsidization in healthcare, and that's where it's coming from just to maintain. And you're looking about time and time per square foot. And there's a whole equation. I don't want to bore everyone with the math, but the whole equation that goes into that, I just don't know what that looks like with the wearables and then the, the bioindicators through sensors. Say, okay, here's exactly what's going on. There's a whole mesh of information right there. Yeah. That's like, where is this going? I still think they're fairly early on, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Intuitive Surgical has been around forever at this point. They have the most to lose, I would say, just because they've been around for so long, but they also have the most patents out there as well. And they're also a billion dollar plus company at this point. And they're still innovating like crazy too. And gobbling up other companies to merge and acquisition. Exactly. They're they're going to turn into hopefully one of those buyers, right? Or those acquirers. Yeah, yeah. Because they're going to become the next striker or the Medtronic of the world. They're going to grow by acquisition. For robotics. For robotics. Yeah. And to your point, my major challenge with the robotics industry is just the pricing, right? Yeah. Uh, how hospitals can afford it. Some can some seriously just can't. If you can't afford it, then what does that does that leave you behind in the industry? And then you're no longer a great hospital because you don't have robotics and you're being left behind. And then that hospital closes down and then there's hospital consolidation and then they have pricing up or leverage on the actual vendors or suppliers of the manufacturers, mm-hmm. which totally changes the whole ecosystem, right? right. Yeah, yeah. Well, but- Alan Pitt just talked about care and the care continuum and what that looks like and the degradation of that is like proper assessment, the human-human connection outside of the modality. There's another topic point that's real. It's a real thing. What's really going on here? Okay, let's ask deeper questions, not just put them on the table and let's kind of do an exploratory exam to hopefully find something that may not be there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Many stuff. The thing on the robots as well, it's like being a jack of all trades, master of none type thing. Yeah, yeah. There's companies out there. <laughs> That's well said. There's companies who are pursuing the general robot to fix that economic problem of you have a robot for this, you have a robot for this, you have a robot for this. Let's create one robot that satiates everything that can happen in a hospital. Tell me how that's going to be possible in terms of engineering and building a technology that's actually going to replicate every single surgery or be able to attack every single surgery beyond laparoscopic surgery, ophthalmology, neurology, cardiovascular. Right. I mean, I, I would hope that would be cool if there was a company who could develop a all-in-one surgical robot that could yeah. solve the economic problem to your point of not having a robot for this, a robot for that, a robot for this. It has to go that way because there's just no way to, the economics don't make sense for it. Right. But then I think the engineering and the human factors ability to design a robot that's an all-in-one situation will be also very challenging. Without doubt. So, I mean, not saying it's impossible, but I don't think it's around the corner either. Completely agree. Neuralink, you talk about Kernel and the other companies that are developing neuroelectronics that are biocompatible. Have you ever seen Black Mirror? No. So you got to check it out. It's not one of my favorites right but it's definitely an imaginatory look at this this could be what are the possibilities of type of a show yeah there's a little hand pendant uh, that's about the size of a the tip of your, your thumb yeah. okay and you have this brain implant that's wired in your brain is now your new solid state drive mm-hmm. everything that you do it remembers so if you need to go back and find a picture you can look at your mind's eye controlling it through this little hand pendant or dongle right you know sitting there looking and looking at research and and, and the guy's actually looking kind of in such time i'm kind of looking up because he's sitting there and his, his eyes kind of cloud over if you will mm-hmm. right but it got to a point where he noticed something on a wall something was off something was different and ultimately he found out that the person he loved was having an affair mm. he was like i just i would i rather would have not have known mm-hmm. it was so much input and so much information and then they showed him actually ripping it out and the leads were, and they, they weren't, they weren't ingrained into like an actual like nerve stem, mm-hmm. but they were around it. So it had a synaptic approach. Okay. And how it communicated information. They ended up ripping it out and lived a normal life. It was too much information. It was just too much. It was too much. It was too much. Neuralink. I don't know if you watch Rogan Musk 2.0. 
I've watched a couple of shows, but not habitually. Okay. Big Joe Rogan fan, especially when they have people who are going to give you snapshots of what things will look like, but they're talking about how Neuralink is going to solve massive types of brain injuries or small indications for use, two or three, to start off with. But that's the pathway in. My fear is, how is it going to be manipulated? How is it going to be used potentially against you? How is someone going to try to tap into that? What do those regulatory things look like? So you're, you're coming up on a really cool point. Yeah. And it can be a contentious point. And I love contention, so let's go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the, the Neuralinks, the Synchrons, the kernels of the world, all this stuff, I'm going to be bold with this statement. Yeah. The futuristic use of these devices is for, and hopefully this word or phrase or categorization sticks around because that's truly what it is. Yeah. It's human augmentation. That's what it is. It's human augmentation. They figured out the speed of a synapse, how information flows in the normal human brain. But the purpose is much more beyond that. I mean, that, that's the science behind it, right? But yeah. human augmentation is really what these devices are going towards. If you listen to Elon Musk and read the articles and stuff like that, he wants to take humans to the next level. How we are as a regulated society, going back to what we were talking about earlier, there are things that the FDA and regulatory bodies don't have any experience with. Right. And because it's so new, it has to fall into antiquated categories of regulation. Let me jump in there real quick. That's a really interesting point. I was watching a TEDx talk by a gentleman called Jeremy Johnson. He was talking about EMF radiation. And to that point alone, Bluetooth 5.0, 5.2, and just microwave with our cell phones and 5G and everything else, it's actually regulated with a bill that's over 50 years old. So we have technology in 2020 moving yeah. into 21, which we've never seen speeds or microchips as small at the speeds that they're moving at being controlled by law that's been written 50 years ago. It's crazy. Yeah. So why don't they just stop and rewrite it? That's the million dollar, right. trillion dollar question? Right. Right. If we took the time to write something 50 years ago, however long that law stood or stands for, okay, well, don't get it out of the way. Make it temporary until the, the new law written. Well, it's also, I mean, to your point of like, why wouldn't they stop and rewrite it, right? right. It, and how economically painful it is. So case in point or example, they are rewriting the European medical device regulations right now, which yeah. the original ones, the MDDs were implemented in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. So nearly 30 years later, they're stopping to rewrite them right now. But look at the pain and the economic destruction that it's caused, right? Or mm -hmm. the, the tectonic shifts in technological development, like we talked about earlier. When you stop and write a continental or a sovereign regulation, right, and a rewrite it rather, mm -hmm. it's painful. And so people avoid it. People avoid conflict and pain like human beings on an individual basis. It also multiplies, right? So right. It, it's easy to not do it than to do it. To your point, they should be doing it. Here's a cool concept to think about. And when we say human augmentation and also the antiquated regulations that we have to deal with, right. these companies like a Neuralink, or a Synchron, or some of the other players in the field, like a Kernel, these technologies are actually able to be developed for human augmentation. They have to use a medical excuse to get Keyword. through the regulatory system, right? because there's no other way of regulating them. Got it. Okay. This isn't a consumer product, right? I mean, like all these people out there who love Star Wars or whatever it may be, and you know, want to become robots, there you go. Yeah. And you want to become robots and live this futuristic lifestyle, right? But keep in mind, it's right in front of us too. I mean, we already are bionic people. Sure. I wear glasses. I have contacts on right now. Mm -hmm. That's human augmentation right there. Right. Cardiac pacemakers, stents, whatever. I mean, you have new hips. That's right. bionic human. Mm -hmm. These crazy new technologies have to use a medical excuse to be able to be available to the public but have to go through these intense regulations first because the FDA has no idea about these things. But think about this, Synchron. Here's an example. You have, and by the way, Thomas Oxley, shout out to Thomas Oxley, CEO of Synchron, amazing TED Talk video, watch it. He talks about the futuristicness of brain-computer interfaces, wonderful TED Talk. But you have a, a stent that has, and I'll, I'll make this super simple, a tremendous amount of sensors on it. Okay. And it's implemented in the motor cortex here in the brain. Yep. The lead comes down and you have a, basically a cardiac pacemaking device. Mm -hmm. That's where it's connected to. 
So you have all this electrical activity up in your brain, turns into zeros and ones, or at least talks to this cardiac pacemaker device, of which then transmits and can control something, right? So imagine you're in the military and you lose an arm or you lose a leg. This is where the bionicness comes in. Yeah. That's maybe biotech will solve that problem. Right. But we have these bionic limbs, basically, right? Robotic limbs, an mm-hmm. arm, a leg. But how do you control them? If you have a, an arm that just sticks on you right now, how are you controlling that? Right. Even if you had some software program in there, I mean, how does it know what you really want to do? What you want to do with your limbs comes from your brain. Now, imagine you have a robotic limb and all of a sudden, when this translates down to here, which then gives zeros and ones off to this or to a leg, and you're like, I want to move that robotic arm like this. That's human augmentation. Puts us into sense of Marvel Studio. That's Winter Soldier right there. Exactly. And now all of a sudden, imagine it works. Once again, medically speaking, it's then proven out by military individuals who do lose those limbs. Wow. But then you can lift 500 pounds. I don't know. I'm making this up right now, right? But it's trending that way. But we have to get through these antiquated regulatory systems. Now imagine it works for the people who need it. What happens if you want to opt for it? What happens if you want Mm. bionic legs to run 10,000 miles So is DARPA involved with this? Is DARPA actually helping to fund this for our military and our servicemen and women? And uh, it's public information. Um, DARPA actually was one of the first investors into Synchron. Really? Yeah. Wow. I believe it was a million bucks, if I'm not mistaken. You want to talk about the craziness of that's awesome of medical devices and where we are as a tech healthcare mm-hmm. uh, economy at this point? Yes, all the PPEs and the obviousness of how we're going to change our physical structures with social distancing and what it's going to do in the hospital. But if you want to talk about also the challenges of our healthcare system with the integrated regulatory systems that are up and coming against... See, our technology and our sophistication and our ability to develop technology has way outpaced regulations. Yeah. That's the major problem. Yeah, and it's going to continue that way as well. So as long as that that's the challenge, you have to have these companies that are developing technologies that are literally changing human beings have to fall under these excuses wow. to be regulated first. Right. And then you can always go back and make an update yeah. to the policy. Yeah. And then who knows? <laughs> And we have a long way to go and many obstacles to get over. The fact is that these companies are existing in 2020 and have existed for several years before this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where sure. are we going to be in 2100? A lot of companies are talking about digital surgery 4.0. Other companies that are concurrent with industry business 3.0 as far as how AI is going to interface and how it's, what it's going to look like at the, really for the most part. Yeah. And automate everything. It's really about automation. I told you earlier about we had Rohan Hall from Votum. He is the CEO. What was really fascinating about him at first is that he has not worked inside of a building for the last 20 years. I mean, he's worked remotely, but he's talking about AI and blockchain. And he started talking about the immunity passport. He's working with Oracle. And Oracle is the backbone. Fascinating stuff. He's going into neomorphic computing. I asked him, I said, what are you most excited about? He goes, neomorphic. He goes, it's there, it's being worked on, and it's everything that you're just talking about right now. I mentioned this a few times already about Lonnie Stormo on one of the podcasts that we had. Uh, He worked for 35 years for Medtronic. He was with Medtronic when they were a mom and pop company for the most part. And now the the global conglomerate that they really are, he's like, yeah, he's like, your doctor's going to be in your pocket. And it's not going to be in your pocket with a face-to-face telemedicine, telehealth type interface. It's going to be your kind of quote-unquote Google assistant built into your phone. And it's going to identify with your wearables and it's going to be able to push information. So now your medical digital ID follows with you just like your digital license. You go to the doctors and they're going to be able to just do a quick scan and go, hey, hey, I noticed these things off or on chemically, neurologically. The efficiency of that is unbelievable. Yeah. That's, and, that's in the propose at least. And the cool thing is during the time of this podcast, we're living these moments right now of this mm-hmm. technological change and shift. And if you want to continue running down that rabbit hole, these Marvel movies, these sci-fi movies. Oh, they're happening. I mean, it'll, it'll eventually get there. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll it's, eventually sure. get there. You've been unbelievable with amount of information and just knowledge you bring to this conversation you're a busy person so how do you keep yourself educated and what are you educating yourself with routine 
I keep myself educated through routine. I'm the list guy. I have my days completely structured. If you came into, and I'm not even afraid to say this because I joke around, whether it's checking into a hotel when I'm traveling or even in my own home, I feel like when you watch one of those movies and and, and those serial killers who are just way too organized, (laughs) like everything's sterile and perfectly in its place and things like that, that's how I am. When I show up to a hotel- Everything has a home, right? Everything. I could tell if it's out of place or if someone's been there because I have it like visually memorized. So last night, for example, I always like to present everything has a home and I have four daughters. So they are just rummaging through the house. So things are left on accident because they're kids, they're imaginatory and they're doing all these things. And it took me a minute to get there. So they asked them last night, I said, hey, we have a couple of folks coming over tomorrow. Please make sure that we pick up after ourselves. And it was a couple hours after. Now it was my wife's birthday at the same time. But I didn't ask her, my wife, I asked my girl, hey, can you make sure that you pick up? And they go, yeah, 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 no problem. It was three and a half hours later. I'm like, yeah. I just threw in the, you know, the white towels. Like, I'll just clean up in the morning. But it, after a little bit of a, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I gotcha. so I can relate to that very, very openly. I do like things where they are. You go into that closet right there. You'll you'll see that everything has a place and a home. All my cameras are where they need to be. My accessories are where they need to be. Blah blah blah. So we're similar in that regard. And yeah. so I live my life very disciplined and very organized. I work a lot. I work a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. But how I have to keep up with the industry and how I have to keep up with me as an individual is through education. That's why I wake up so early because I have that extra hour and a half-ish to myself that I dedicate to my routines. Mm. Um, Meditate for 10 minutes, clear the brain, coffee in the morning. I do a Sudoku puzzle every single morning. Just you really? Every single morning. I've been doing it for years. Just to I like of, that idea. Yeah. Every single morning I wake up just to get the brain moving. What are you doing? Easy, medium, or hard? I do. I, I buy the books. I, I buy those uh, paperback books that you can buy in the gas stations. Yeah. And I just literally work from number one all the way to the end. And when the book's done, I go out and buy another one. Really? Yeah, and I do, <laughs> I do one every single morning. It just gets the brain moving and, and allows you to think and see things from different angles. And I use that philosophy throughout the day. So basically what I read is, personal philosophy stuff, not necessarily self-help stuff. Mm-hmm. It could be thrown into that category. But, you know, the Mark Manson stuff of the world, the subtle art of not Still giving a fuck. fuck. Everything is fucked. Everything is for is a second fuck. book. <laughs> they play off each other. But there's another guy named Ryan Holiday. I know the name. Ryan Holiday. He has three books, maybe a fourth. Um, I haven't read the fourth one yet, if it, if it does exist. But it's Obstacle is the Way. Ego is the enemy, and my personal favorite, which I believe is like a personal Bible to myself. I've already read it numerous times, and it will be one of these books that I reread for the rest of my life. It's called Stillness yeah. is the Key. Yeah, Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, The Daily Stoic. You subscribe to it. Okay. And so I get that every single day, and it's a little bit of a reader and a reminder. Stillness is the Key is my personal favorite mantra book. Awesome stories about people who we all know that goes a little bit deep that will teach you things that you never know about them. Yeah. But it also tells you about how to be a disciplined individual human being. And it's it's just a wonderful book. So oh. yeah. I'm also reading the Life Science Executives Fundraising Manifesto. Mm-hmm. And this is life science in general, not med tech. So it could be biotech, pharma. Basically, if you are a startup CEO within life sciences, mm-hmm. and let's just assume you have nowhere to go or start, you don't even know how to start. And let's just say you have an idea or you have a company and you're fundraising at various stages. It gives you all the information that you need to know, the legality behind it, mm. the styles of investors, whether it's crowdfunding, angel investors, venture capitalists, family funds, wow. private equity. What a resourceful book. It's an amazing book. And yeah. it's not written in a text fashion. It's written as as though literally someone's talking to you. Yeah. And, and imagine you're reading something for the first time and you're like, I want to start my own startup. I know I need to raise funding for it, but I have no idea even where to start. Right. This book is right down the middle. Perfect solution. At a minimum, I don't have a startup. I'm not raising money right now, but I deal with CEOs and startups every single day. Mm-hmm. And now I have a much more newly found respect for the medical device or life science CEO and what they actually have to deal with mm-hmm. in terms of fundraising and running operations at the same time. Wow. So those books are phenomenal. And then as I gave a shout out earlier, MedTech Strategist is my go-to medical device resource for everything MedTech globally. Phenomenal writing. And then other than that, I use my network. Now, what about podcasts? What are the podcasts that you take time to listen to? Fairly new ones. And I'll give shout outs to both of them. Tom Salemi from Mass Device. 
has a podcast that he does called Device Talks. Mm -hmm. Great one. Strongly recommend that one. Shout out to Tom. And also a fairly new one by an actual CEO within the medtech industry himself. His name is Jeff Smith. Yep. That was the one that you forwarded me last week. Exactly. I remember him, yeah. The podcast is called Unmet Needs. Uh, last time I checked, there was only four episodes. Maybe he's up to the fifth now, but I was just yeah. on the phone with him last week and I've already listened to all four of them. Oh, really? uh, very cool style. Once again, it's, it's taking place as though you are a CEO in the industry. And what are the resources that a CEO in medtech needs? And then how do you go about that? So he has his founder who's a surgeon on there. He has one of his investors on there. He has one of his lawyers on there. I remember you telling me that he organizes it in a way where yeah. if someone was in a startup position, all the resources are right there, at least the beginning of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's awesome. So, I, I mean, I try to keep my life and in order to be as busy as, as you and a guy like myself are, you have to keep it super organized. So, yeah. I have two speeds, right? Like, I really care about my industry. So, a lot of my reading and education and continuous education is just really focused on the med tech industry because that's where I spend most of my day. And then when I do have time, I read those Ryan Holiday, Mark Manson style books, the daily articles every single day. They're mm -hmm. super quick, just yeah. kind of a, a personal reminder. And then the here's like a little bit of a weird thing for me. I like Japanese long novels. Okay. So not the anime stuff. Yeah. But there my are kids love anime. Love it. I was just in Japan twice actually. I was just in Japan in February for a conference. And then I spent Christmas and New Year's actually there. Um celebrated twenty twenty. Who knows what it was gonna come a few months later. <laughs> but yeah, I was in Japan, all over Japan in December and January, which was really cool. But I, I love these mega novels. I think they're called mega novels and they're like seven to nine hundred or over a thousand pages. Wow. But the literary ability by some of these Japanese authors, and of course they're translated, I can't read Japanese, phenomenal stories. And that's kind of my little off the beaten path when I just need to clear my mind and read something that's not constant usable information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Final question. Ready? Let's do it. Final words yours. What do you want to say? What do you want to leave people with? Try. Everyone should try. There's a lot of discouragement happening right now, and it's really easy to stay home, throw yourself off your discipline, throw yourself off your routine, especially for those people who have responsibilities, mm -hmm. families, elderly, sick parents, children, mortgages, whatever. We all have to do our part. If you choose to take advantage of the system and you don't pay your mortgage, then the banks get screwed up. Then the whole financial system gets screwed up. If you choose to not update your resume and send it out there and continue to collect unemployment, what are you really doing to the system? What are you really doing for yourself? I'm big on the individual as part of the collective and we have to help everyone, mm -hmm. but you can't help anyone without helping yourself. So if you play victim and you're just staying at home and you're like, woe is me. I got furloughed. I got laid off. COVID did this to me. You know, just get up, pour yourself a coffee, put your feet on the ground and try to do one to three really important things a day or accomplishments and it'll add up. And even if you get discouraged day one, day two, if you look back and you continuously do it and you just don't stop, after two weeks, you're like, wow, look at what I just did. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm big on not going fetal and control the controllables. There's a lot of things out there that are out of your control. If you play the game of victim, you're just going to be adding to the whole problem as opposed to helping the issue mm -hmm. and all of us get out of it. I mean, I think just the greatest message of especially earlier on in COVID of, you know, stay at home, do your part. Every little thing counts. Yeah. You have to try. Absolutely. You reminded me of my favorite movie right there. You ever watched Cinderella Man before? Cinderella Man. Yeah. No. Russell Crowe. James Braddock, he was a fighter his entire life and had some bad circumstances where he broke his hand, he couldn't fight. And at the time of the depression, the gist of it without giving away the story, you got to watch it. Uh, really, really amazing movie. Great film script. He went out and he was receiving unemployment. And when he got his big break and he got an early payday because he started fighting again, his hand that he was working at the docks made his hand stronger than ever. He went back into boxing. He got the money that he received from the government and he handed it all back. Mm. And when they asked him the question why, he said, look, he goes, you know, a lot of people out here that are not as fortunate as I am. I figure I can do my part to help them yeah that was cool man 
I have one, and to your point of what I want to leave people off with, yeah. um, I won't mention the name because I, I want to reserve that. I do want to give a shout out, and this person will know who I'm shouting out to. Mm-hmm. Truly an idol for me in terms of personal perseverance, and it goes back to this whole thing that I was just talking about trying right? yeah, yeah. And, and not giving up type stuff. I've had the the fortunate ability to work with this individual. It's just such a powerful thing to realize how strong the mind can be, what we can push our bodies through. Yeah, absolutely. I have been fortunate to work with this individual for the past several years, and it was one thing after the next, and I'll get into that, but I I just want to give my thoughts, my prayers, my everything to this individual, and she is an incredible human being. First and foremost, being in our industry is tough enough. Then being in this industry with a brand new baby to start with, there's only so much time in the day. Yeah, You know that, right? Children. Then sequentially, back to back, lost a parent while being pregnant with her second. Wow. And then the day she gave birth, she found out that she was, I believe, stage three or stage four cancer. Day she gave birth. Wow continued to work throughout this whole process while she was going through the treatment and everything came to the office never stopped like nothing happened raising two children then as this individual is coming out on the back end just about to be like this is the year finally done with all this bullshit right right you know brand new kids they have to deal with and bring them up to speed lost a parent emotionally distraught cancer then covid happens And her husband gets furloughed and she's got two kids. She's still not fully out of the woods. And this woman shows up to work every day, works her ass off, is an incredibly positive individual and just never stops. I really do use her as my icon in my head to just know that if that's actually possible, anything is possible. Because that is just incredible endurance, perseverance, ambition, and strength, and a lot of responsibility that most people couldn't handle. What do I want to leave people off with? This person is the icon of that. If all of us had even a tenth of her strength, this world would be a significantly better place. Wow. Climb each one of those mountains without stop, and it's literally like a baton. One thing happens, and another thing happens, and just not to stop, or not to go fetal, or not to blame, or just to keep on going. Man, you're the best ecstatic with the information that we talked about here appreciate you coming in thank you it was really fun i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did i and, loved it uh, we, we make this a regular oh, thing let's yeah you know let's go I mean? back to back on this yeah, one i mean this is part one this was this was a little bit of the tip of the iceberg yeah, <laughs> from part one. i have some stuff where some other people are coming back on it'd be great to cross collaborate with all that would love to be great scott burgess healthcare 360 we have g Rowney right in front of me you can find him at mr medtech and we'll see you in the next one take care everyone thank you Boom. That was awesome, man. Thank you, man. That was fantastic. This was great. Thank you for joining us for episode number 41 on Healthcare 360. Please connect with Giovanni on LinkedIn at MrMedTech.com or give hashtag MrMedTech a follow. I promise Giovanni's information is not to disappoint. If you like Healthcare 360 and enjoy the conversation, please share this podcast and give us a review. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you enjoy listening. If you want the conversation to continue, you can find us on Instagram at Scott E. Burgess or scotteburgess.com. If you'd like to have a conversation or discuss a topic option on Healthcare 360, please look for the calendar link in the podcast notes below and let's set up a time to talk. I hope this conversation empowers and educates the HC360 nation's best and brightest, and I look forward to building our relationship. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess, and from all of us with the Healthcare 360 team, see you next time.